Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we focus on metals, mining, and more. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Today, we will highlight Jericho Oil, a world-class upstream oil and gas company. Joining us today is Brian Williamson. He is the CEO of Jericho Oil. Mr. Williamson, welcome to the show, sir. Good afternoon, Maurice. How are you? Doing well, sir. For first-time listeners, please share who is Jericho Oil and what is the thesis you are attempting to prove? So Jericho Oil is a TSX Venture listed Canadian oil and gas company. Um, our focus is on, on acquiring and developing assets in North America, specifically Oklahoma, which is the Midcon region of the United States. Um, so for the last three and a half years, we have been head down um, buying assets from all kinds of unique capital situations for our shareholders. Now, to accomplish your long-term goal, why did Jericho Oil select the Anadarko Basin? So the Anadarko Basin is a pretty special place in the oil and gas world. Um, it's been developed for 100 plus years now. It's produced 5 million barrels of oil. And, and if you think about that time horizon, you've seen all kinds of development. You've seen your classic drill and flow wells. You've seen... Um, your vertical development, you've seen your single section horizontals. But what the Anadarko hadn't seen up until very recent years is a multi-stack development opportunity that exists with all the benches that are in it. So every bench has been developed at some time in its life in the Anadarko, but never all of them at one time. And with new technology and the new techniques, you're able to develop single sections in multiple benches, which is the whole premise behind the stack um, which is a part of the Anadarko Super Basin. You know, for our listeners, the value proposition that immediately caught my attention regarding Jericho Oil is the market entry point and that your option value oriented. Brian, can you expand on that option value that I'm referring to? Yeah, so one thing to think about when you're an oil and gas person is not always about what is the producing asset value, but what is the long-term value of the asset? What can we do with this asset at different price intervals? So. You know, our, our thesis in buying assets was to look at things that had HBP production. Um, and that production is important because when you're in a downturn, which we were for the last three plus years, you never know when you're going to get a price to drill. So the acreage that is held by the placeholder that is productive and in most cases you're going to be able to break even, make a little bit of money on it. The reality is, is that the asset has to have upside. Upside being what can I do with it if I get a price to drill. Um, in our world, in our mind, we think of as $60, $55, $60 as a drilling price. So you know, in, in today's market all of a sudden, you know, we see ourselves um, ready to take advantage of that optionality. You know, and for us, it's been head down by distress, producing assets that had really interesting rocks that hadn't been developed to their full potential um, for one reason or another, and hold them and wait till we got the price to drill them. Um, you've seen the market, you know, sort of grow out of that distress stress world. You've seen most of that debt flush down, and. Um, you know, balance sheets are pretty healthy in the oil and gas business, and we think it's a time to drill and take advantage of that optionality. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Jericho Oil raised more than $45 million Canadian to purchase, I believe, what, 70,000 acres? And you're already producing 450 barrels per day here. And this was all accomplished through non-brokered, I want to emphasize this for our listeners, non-brokered private placements during the oil market downturn. That's quite impressive. How were you able to achieve this accomplishment, and who were the key check writers? 
So, so for us, the goal has been, you know, this is, we saw the, the, the downturn as a crisis, and it was a crisis in the oil and gas world. Um, and so our thesis and, you know, our main shareholders thesis is we never want to waste a good crisis. And, uh, you know, a lot of that stems from the Breen family, which is, you know, one of our largest shareholders, the patriarch being Ed Breen, the chairman, CEO of, excuse me, the CEO of Dow DuPont, um, former chairman of Tyco and CEO of Tyco. And Ed's theory was is that, you know, it's one thing for people to say they like to buy low and sell high, but buying low is not easy because not only is the price against you, um, but you're also dealing with the prevailing headwind. You know, so in oil and gas, when prices go lower, all the TV is littered with are people telling you why prices are gonna go even lower. And so the natural reaction is, why do I wanna get in a business that's going lower? Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, things will recover, things will get better. Um, we didn't necessarily know when, we didn't know if it'd be a year, two, five years from now, but our thesis was that prices will recover. The world can't survive on $30 oil. There's a huge gap between being profitable and being losing money at 30 and making money at 60. And so our idea was when we saw the prices at that level, keep buying, keep our head down, and that was Ed's advice, and you know the Breen family has been one of our largest shareholders. Um, but we've heard the same comment, you know. So if you look at our shareholders, you know you have the Bellsberg family, another longtime oil and gas investor family. Um, they've been in and out of the business for I think Sam's been in it for 50 years, 60 years. Um, you have the Graves family. You have um, the Hagna family. And they all are entrepreneurial in the sense that they understand that you know, that world, and they understand, you know, what it takes to buy things cheap. You know, it's easy to buy something in $150 oil because the numbers you're looking at look rosy. They look fantastic because all you're showing are profit, 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 but you're also paying max price, right? And so the investor psychology is, you know, it's the same thing if I showed you a mutual fund. If I showed you the last three years return on mutual fund, it's up 20%, 30%, and 30%. Geez, that guy's a genius. We should buy his fund. Well, if I said it to you logically, it's, well, you're gonna buy high. Or if I showed you another fund and he lost 20%, he lost 30%, he lost 30%, he said, geez, this guy's terrible. Why am I buying his fund? He's, he loses money every year. Well, you're buying low. Um, it's the same thing in our world, right? The assets are the same, right? Just because oil prices are low doesn't mean it's a bad asset. Doesn't mean that the team that owned it was a bad team. We bought from great teams, really smart teams. It's just, when prices go against you in a commodity business, it's a tough world. You know, I just have to share again with our listeners, I truly believe in the value proposition of Jericho Oil for the, the virtues we're going to convey in today's message. Brian, you've provided us with a historical context of Jericho Oil. Let's fast forward to 2018. The drills are now turning for Jericho Oil in the prolific stack, which is in the Anadarko Basin. Twofold question. What is the value proposition in the stack, and how does Jericho plan to acquire assets within the stack? So, so the stack is the epitome of modern oil and gas. So you take the same area that's been developed um, vertically at different benches at different times in life, and the stack offers you the unique opportunity to take that same space, that same single section, and not only drill one well, um, but drill 10 horizontal wells. You know, and so we're conservative in saying that we think you can, you can drain a section with 10 horizontal wells. But if you think about that, that's five million barrels of oil, half a million barrel per well, 10 wells per section. It's five million per section. Um, 
that's the game changer in the oil and gas business is the ability to drain a section that was already deemed drained when it was drilled vertically. Um, so to us, that's what makes the stack so unique. You know, you have 700 feet, 1,000 feet of pay, multiple formations, good seals, so the ability to drill multiple horizontals in, a, in the same um, landing area. So to me, that's what makes the stack unique. Um, and for us, two formations, the Merrimack, which is the upper part of the stack, and the lower part is the Osage. The Merrimack is you know, something that we think is pretty interesting on the Western component of our acreage, and the Osage is prevalent throughout everywhere on our acreage. Um, our goal will be to basically prove up both components in our acreage. Um, and we have a price to do it now, Maurice. You know, so when we bought our acreage oil, it was 40-ish dollars a barrel, but it's all HBP, so we, you know, we have time to wait. Um, we've been head down for the last four months cleaning up our title to get everything ready from a lands perspective to develop our acreage. And now, you know, we see ourselves moving forward with a development plan in 2018. What is the uh, break-even cost on the on your oil there? Is it $32, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it's about thirty. It's about thirty, thirty-two dollars, Maurice. It's it's a really good point. It's the one of the lowest, if not the lowest, break-even um, in North America. Quite impressive. Who are some of the prominent operators in the stack? So, so for us, we are surrounded by all of the big guys. You know, you have your Continental, you have your Devons, you have Marathon, you have Newfield. Um, you know, you have Chaparral, you have newly public Alta Mesa. Um, so we are the only junior sitting in between all of these big guys. And it's kind of a nice position for us because we get to do what we call tuck-in acquisitions, Maurice, that would be meaningless to Continental. Um, 1,500 acres is meaningless to Continental. But to Jericho, picking up 1,500 acres that is contiguous is three more operated sections in our mix. And so things that show up on the market you know, where there's very little competition from the big guys, we can add to our mix as little tuck-in acquisitions on our, you know, 10,000-acre position. So we find that to be a pretty enviable position. Now, let's summarize this for our audience, and please correct me if I'm wrong. To confirm, Jericho now has about 11,000 acres in the stack with a potential of about 100 million barrels of oil with a break-even price of $32, and you purchase the acres at 80 to 90% discount surrounded by some of the most prominent operators and Jericho now has about 160 locations within the stack. Is that correct? So yes, all of those things are spot on. Um, I think our valuation was a little lucky. You know, at the end of the day, we we always look to be opportunistic, but it's always nice to be a little lucky. About four weeks after we closed our package and our first acquisition in the stack, our neighbor Alta Mesa went public, and they were bought by Silver Run, which was a SPAC run by Jim Hackett for $17,000 an acre. Um, our, our initial entry price is $2,300 an acre. So you can imagine our excitement as a team when we saw where they went for, and they are world-class, no doubt about it, that they are one of the best operators in the play. And I think one of the things you'll find in the stack and in the oil business in general is, is that everybody roots for everybody because you want good wells, you want good results. So, you know, I know that you know, we root for Alta Mesa to drill the wells. We root for the small, the other, you know, the other large guys, the Marathons, the Continentals, the Devons, because it only goes further to prove the play out. Um, and we think the play is pretty special. What is the ratio of PDPs versus NPDPs? So our acreage is, is all PDP. Um, it's all held by production, but the production that holds it really is only 
um, a very, very small percentage of what we think of the potential is. So I would probably say that, you know, our undeveloped acreage will vastly, it's vastly greater than our developed acreage. Um, we just haven't had a chance to put the drill bit to the ground yet. I mean, we just got done with the acquisition. So you're going to see most of it is not proven at this point. All right. And do we know anything about the average decline rates? So the decline rates are kind of an interesting question, Maurice, because, you know, you're going to see, uh, you know, we think you're going to be able to deliver a 1.2 B factor. Um, that that basically looks like about a 90% decline from initial production over the first year. Um, what the focus is on for us as a team and for other operators is maintaining a higher oil cut. Um, and that all goes back to how you flow back the well. So the original marketing idea was to give you the open the well wide open. Um, don't choke it back at all and give yourself the highest single day IP possible. And that would deliver an enormous number, but that also had an impact on the well's transition from being a liquid well to more of a gassy well. And so what you really want to focus on now is you do want to look at that IP. It's still important over a 30-day period, but you really want to look at it 30, 60, 90, and also look at have they maintained the oil cut because oil is 60 and gas is less than $3 a barrel. Um, so the reality is, you know, to me, what we want is focus on the 90 day number, um, focus on the 180 day number. But you know, you think you're, we think you're going to see, you know, your typical, um, 1.2 B factor decline curve there. All right. Now, Brian, Jericho oil's primary focus will be the prolific stack, but Jericho oil has two more plays that will provide additional value to the company. Let's discuss Jericho oil's sure play. Uh, provide us with some background on the sure. Yeah. So the sure play, is is really sort of illustrative of our strategy. So we bought this on New Year's Eve, December, New Year's Eve, 2015. Um, if you remember the oil market, it was $27 a barrel. Um, prices were down a dollar every day for the month of December, it felt like. Um, it was a bad time. And, you know, this was a pretty interesting asset. It had Woodford development in it. It had hunting development in it, and those are two fairly prolific formations in Oklahoma, uh, particularly as it relates to that central Oklahoma area. Um, some good results, good engineering, good team, just tough capital structure, tough market. So had an opportunity to pick up the asset, and we thought that the opportunity uh, was too good to pass up. You know, again, good HBP to acreage position, you know, good geology good engineering data and we felt like we could hold on to the asset and put ourselves in a position where when prices came back that we'd have a chance to develop it and here we are testing the Woodford now looking at it uh, we're not doing the heavy lifting there Maurice because we're not as big as some of our neighbors and this is another scenario where we have a neighbor um, BP who are drilling two mile laterals so for us we'll test it vertically um, but the play is pretty pretty interesting and it's a really nice cash flowing asset for us and what are the plans for the Sherplay? You know, so we'll test the Woodford. We think the Woodford's pretty interesting there. There's been three or four tests of it there. Um, it is definitely oily. It is definitely productive. Um, it is going to be in our production and development mix. Um, it's just a matter of timing. And timing in the oil and gas business is something that people are, in our opinion, missing, right? So there's this whole notion out there that U.S. shale is going to overtake um, the market. Um, services are constrained. There is a service issue and getting access to services is challenging. So you have to pick and choose where you're going to utilize those services because there's not an endless supply right now. 
All right, let's discuss the third project in your portfolio, and that's the Osage extension. Uh, what can you share with us, sir? Uh, so this is this this one is one that sort of was a sleeper. So we bought this almost at the same time we bought this Shore Play. Uh, this asset has more disposal capacity than just about anything we've seen in a long time in Oklahoma. So we have tremendous infrastructure in place, pads in place, great title work, 80,000 barrels of infrastructure, and at the time, several wells that were top of the class in terms of their IPs and their production. It's just that as this asset was coming on, the markets were cratering. And so you had a situation where nobody cared, nobody paid attention to it. Um, but the fascinating thing is now that the market is back, everybody's interested in the Caney and the Maze. And this is a really, this is like prime real estate for that. So it's an area that's really old, it's been developed. So the title work is probably as valuable as anything there because it take, it'll take you millions and millions and millions of dollars to replicate the title work that came with that asset. So we're pretty excited about that. And that's also something that we'll look to test and, and develop later this year. Okay, because that was my next question. What is the goal? Yeah, so I think you know our goal there was we'll probably look for a drilling partner, um, you know, and, and bring a drilling partner on to help us develop that. Uh, we think it makes sense for that because we have everything, we have all the infrastructure in place. So we think it's a really interesting opportunity to bring in a drill cow. Switching gears, Brian, we've discussed the tangible assets, but I'm of the opinion that the best value propositions must equal their tangible with their intangibles. Jericho just completed two joint ventures re regarding intellectual data. Please share the details. Yeah, so, you know, I said this earlier in the call, you know, we like data and we root for our neighbors. And so if we can create co-opetition where we're sharing data and we're learning from other people, learning what they've learned that doesn't work, learning what works, um, where to land, how they frack, what worked, what didn't, uh, it only makes our wells better. And so the idea was we have neighbors who are fantastic operators. So one is Staghorn Petroleum. They had the, the most successful exit in the stack to date. Um, they're back into play. They love it so much. And they're our neighbor to the West. And we've been working on developing the Merrimack together um, over there in the West. And you know we think that was a great fit for us. And then the other is another group that is focused on the Osage, which is the other component of the stack. Um, really good team. We thought putting our heads together and developing that um, initially made a lot of sense because we get the opportunity to work with them on their acreage um, and then bring all that knowledge back to our acreage. You know, I learned from Rick Rule and Doug Casey that the people running the business are equally, if not more important, than the latent material on the ground. Mr. Williamson, please introduce to us your board of directors and what unique skill sets they bring to Jericho Well. So I think the biggest thing you'll see as you as I run down our board is that they are very experienced. So you get sort of that sage like wisdom when you think about the board. You know, you have Nick Baxter, who is a 30, 40 year oil and gas veteran, um, been very successful at the business, really understands it, asks really good th thought provoking questions. Um, you have Marcus Seward. He's a uh, you know, he runs, he's a chief investment officer for Park Lane Hedge Fund, and he's also a quant and a geologist by training. So he really understands the rock, but he also understands the economic side of developing assets. And so, you know, they bring that technical experience. Um, you have Alan Wilson, who is also a board of director and our founder, who brings 20 years of junior market experience. Um, never been in the junior markets. I can tell you that what he brings in terms of 
market knowledge and how to navigate them, it, it's, it separates us from lots of other juniors. Uh, and, and the other board member being Jerry, Jerry uh, Tusky. Jerry is a corporate attorney, brings 30 years of Canadian securities experience. So you have a really good mix of experience, really good blend of skills, um, and all sort of shareholders of the company as well. Tell us about Brian Williamson. What makes him qualified for the task at hand? Yeah, so for me, um, public markets are, are a new place for me. But I've been doing what we're doing now um, for almost 20 years. You know, I have a legal background. I have a finance background. I have a CPA. So, you know, I understand the business side. Um, for me, I've grown up now, you know, looking, evaluating, operating oil assets in various capacities. And, you know, this was... Um, not a new opportunity in terms of how to build an oil company. What was new was doing it in the public forum for me. So, you know, I looked at the team we had um, that had been doing it with me for a while, and they came along. Um, you have Ryan and Tony and Alan, and I've known each other for a long time. And what, what you'll see that we've added to that is the science. So I'm a believer in understanding the science that is in your portfolio and having folks with experience at it. And so for me, it was assembling a technical team that had not only experience in developing the rocks that we're focused on, but doing it together. Um, so if you look at our geology and engineering team, Shane and Dennis leading those two efforts, they've drilled 30 horizontal wells um, from chalkboard to drill bit together. And that's important to work hand in glove. There's no finger pointing. It's a team-oriented approach. Um, these guys have been doing it for a long time. They've been doing it right here in the Anadarko. They've been doing it in Oklahoma and drilling Osage wells. So you get all that knowledge and experience. You, know, you don't have on-the-job training with them. They hit the ground running. Um, and for me, it, it's having the, the opportunity to assemble that team that's the most exciting part of this. Well, you hit the nail on the head on my next question. I was going to inquire about your technical team, but I believe you've already covered that for us. All right, thanks. All right. Next question here for you. Let's talk some numbers. Uh, how much cash or cash equivalents does Jericho Oil have? So we're sitting on about $4.5 million of cash. Uh, we have a credit facility with East West Bank that has about $7 million of availability in it. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out earlier, Maurice, we sort of see ourselves as you know, we expect to spend that money. We expect to drill. Um, we do have plans to drill, assuming oil prices hold up. You know, we'll, we'll look to do that later this year. And, you know, if we need to raise money, we will raise money. That's not been our challenge. Talk to us about your cash flow distribution. What is the ratio between cash spent and tangible assets on the balance sheet? You know, so that's that's something that um, we'll get into more as we release our year-end financials. We're a little too close to getting that done, so we can save that for our post-financials coming out. How much debt do you have? Um, so we have a facility with East West Bank. That facility is a twelve. It's a thirty million dollar facility, twelve million dollar borrowing base, and we have outstanding about five point eight million on it now. What is your burn rate? Mm, it, it's zero. And talk to us about your share structure. So pretty simple share structure. We have one class of shares. Uh, we have common shares. We have uh, about a hundred and. 26 million shares um, outstanding. We have 7 million options and 26 million warrants. Um, the warrants are at 60 cents and they come due over the next uh, year to 18 months. Are so there, it might be a little longer than that. Are there any change of control fees? 
we do not have any of those. All right. Mr. Williamson, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about? You know, I think for me, it's, it's interesting to watch um, the speed at which people are refocusing on oil and gas. And, you know, for us, we've been in this business for a long time. So we sort of realize that there's ebbs and flows in the price cycle. Um, you know, what we've seen is a lack of capital inflows into oil and gas. Um, so we do see that as a good and a bad thing. We see it as a good thing because we think it's going to keep pressure on prices to keep prices higher um, over the short to mid to long term period. So that's a positive. The negative being that, you know, there's still a real shortage of people who want to talk about oil and gas and really want to focus on it um, that aren't in the space. So you haven't seen the generalist world come back, look at the space to see the opportunity that is oil and gas. Because it's a place you can make real returns. Um, at 50 and $60, the numbers are really inviting and you just haven't seen anybody come back. I shouldn't say anybody. You haven't seen a large majority of people come back to looking at the space. Which is exactly why we're here, sir. <laughs> Last question for you. What did I forget to ask? Um, I think the question that you know we, we get asked a lot is what, what is it that you know, what's happening with the marketplace and why are services so constrained? You know, because for folks that are outside of our industry, you know, the expectation is, is that as you're, as you're seeing businesses ramp up, services will be available. And what we've noticed is, is that the body count is really low. Um, there is a, it's tough to get people to come back because other parts of the economy, they've taken new jobs, they've moved on, and services are a bottleneck. Um, you know, that's something that we see not just in our in our small Jericho world, but across the board, um, getting frack spreads, getting getting wireline services. They're getting better, but there's still a real shortage of services in the marketplace. And so it definitely delays your ability to deliver what you feel are your timely results. Brian, for someone listening who wants to get more information regarding Jericho oil, please share the stock symbols on the TSX and on the OTC and your contact details. Yeah, so our, our stock trades on the TSX Venture under JCO.V, um, and then our stock trades on the OTC under JRROR, excuse me, JROOF, JROOF. Um, for contact details, you can reach, um, you know, we have everybody's contact information on the website. So if you go to www.jerichooil.com, um, you have all of our IR, our PR, and, and our team contact information right there. And last but not least, please visit our website, www.provenimprobable.com, where we interview the most respected names in the natural resource space. You may reach us at contact at provenimprobable.com. Brian Williamson of Jericho Oil, thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thanks for having us, Maurice. And for our listeners, we want to share that Jericho Oil is a sponsor of Proven and Probable and that we are proud shareholders of Jericho Oil for the virtues we conveyed in today's message. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven and Probable 
is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.